0: Ooh, you know it's that time. It's that theory time.
1: What time is it, Joe?
0: It's theory time? It's, it's theory time. It's, it is theory time. No, oh, it is. Ooh, man.
1: Yeah, so what, one thing that's interesting is, you know, right before he publishes Beyond the Pleasure Principle, he uh, publishes five short papers that were meant to be uh, a group of 12 in a book that mm. would be basically titled like uh, Metapsychology or something. And this is during the time of the First World War when Freud is. Uh, His practice kind of slows down because, you know, there's so much else going on. So he has all this time and uh, he writes, he publishes five of the 12 papers, but he, you know, he's in this period where uh, psychoanalysis is undergoing a lot of revision and changes. So he never publishes this book for, um, on the one hand, reasons that are kind of mysterious, but on the other hand, because he's growing dissatisfied with the simple topographical model and he's and we see in beyond the pleasure principle where he is emphasizing alongside that uh, model the economic model of pleasure and unpleasure Um, so I read a couple of these extra essays I've talked to you about one of them instincts and their vicissitudes this is where he defines drive Instincts from the point of view of physiology and biology. And I always found that really, really helpful, the four elements of drive. And then another little paper is, is repression it's again, very short. It's about four or five pages. Um, and the last paper I read actually wasn't among the 12 it comes after, but it's, called Negation, and that's, again, another, like, three-page essay, and uh, all of those feed really well into what we read today, which is uh, Beyond the Pleasure Principle. So um, do you have any opening reactions to reading this? Is this your first time? Have you – did you read it before?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, like, I've been definitely – read a bunch of Freud's corpus and have like stumbled across the beyond before. This is the first time I think I read it like, well, no, with a theoretical like lens, like, and and, like trying to, and I even tried to write a little bit as I was in the middle of it. And it, and it's, I kind of want to read it again. Like it, he moves very quick sometimes and it's, and it's, it would be, it would be cool to follow his, his, his trajectory here even more more yeah. carefully um, and it's
1: it's a sort of disjointed or split work you know it kind of splits in the middle into this biological excursion and uh which has always fascinated me it always felt like two distinct essays that um or one essay with a big thought experiment in the middle
0: you mean the speculation about the death drive?
1: Yeah, the speculation about the death drive and and sort of the hypotheses on uh, life, organism, and and the sort of all instincts are, you know, conservative in the sense of, you know, going back to an earlier stage of life, repeating that stage, and also preserving the the individual. Um, it's this long excursion, this detour he needs in order to provide speculative evidence for the compulsion to repeat.
0: Right. He has to go back to the, the molecular. Right. And this is the key to like understanding this catastrophe, right. That he has to show us that the only thing beyond love is death or something. Right. Like, and, I, I don't know. It's it's in like it's in this dynamic between the two that everything lives, right? Because he keeps emphasizing like cells will do this thing. He calls it conjugation, and I yep. wonder if this is right. where Laruelle gets it, right? Where two molecular like two germ cells, right? Like he's always Freud's obsession with the germ line, right? We could analyze in different ways, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like these these germ cells that like they fuse and then they by fusing they revitalize each other. This is the whole this is the whole point, right? Like that, that we're, we're, we're trapped in this disaster of time and we can only repeat. And this is, this is kind of the destiny of, of, of human beings where like, it seems like we're doomed to repetition, but by talking to other people and and like by plugging into different kind of collective assemblages, we can, we, we can introduce differences. We can, we can change, right? Like, um, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think this is this is the question of the demon, right? Like, why is the universe always permuting me into this shape, right? right. Um, and Freud wants to say it's not, it's not a demon, right? The demon is a is a myth. Like, this whole work is about demythologization yes. of like the 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 effects of demonic possession that like. You know, and I guess he's talking about like self destructive violent urges. It's sort of hard to pin down exactly what I mean. He could be just talking about mania, you know what I mean? But like, what is this? What is the sense of the demon in this work? Right. And it's like, it, 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 what it figures as, as the fates, right? As the agency that would operate the structure of your world and cause you to recombine over and over again in the same way. Um, to conjugate ex- with exactly the same triangular structure, and so that you're not actually, or it's, it's not that you're not revitalized, but that you're only revitalized through through this n- negation, this triangulation, yeah. right? Um, and that like everything has to happen th- through the death drive in the last instance. This is this is how it seems, right? That all of life from the very beginning seeks seeks its own negation. Um and it does, it seems antithetical to to Canada or the self overcoming will to power mm-hmm. that that other at least another kind of philosopher would see in this problem. Right. And we see and this is a point Derrida makes is that Freud like is very conspicuously avoiding philosophy, even though doesn't he mention Schopenhauer in the beyond? He says something he about like Schopenhauer's prefigured this in terms of like the importance the will of yeah, will to live. Right. It, right. And, and the importance of the emotions, generally, I guess. But.
1: Well, and he also makes a an allusion to Nietzsche and the Ubermensch, uh, and it being a kind of one of yes. those one of those allusions, one of those kind of in, in, fictions that. that that he's not yeah. going to up, uphold. Um, I think for Freud.
0: There's another tiny, tiny reference to Nietzsche, too. There's a – he talks about the permanent return of the same at one that's, point. That's
1: right. Yeah, um, he talks about that's, – that's exactly th- – that's, that's, that's in discussion of the uh, compulsion to repeat. And I think Freud wants to find a kind of middle ground between the will to live and the will to power and and perhaps misunderstanding the notion of power in Nietzsche in the and in the, in that phrase, will to power – you know freud is working through something that he hypothesized just before this in defining drives which is that the function of the the function and purpose the overall goal of the psychical apparatus on the one hand he wants to generalize from what he takes as a principle here which is it's about evacuating excitation keeping it constant perhaps or at its lowest level this is these are the three options that he vacillates between or he wants to entertain at the same time and he generalizes from that to say that the psychical apparatus the mental apparatus its goal is a will to master it's a will to mastery and this obviously he puts forward this hypothesis to explain uh compulsions to repeat and he and as we know he turns to childhood play right the the example of the fort da about the child why would the child repeat this seemingly unpleasurable event well he moves himself from the position of a passive uh spectator Mm -hmm. to that of an active participant to that of with the goal of mastering and and so but freud had already kind of hypothesized that generally this is what's at stake with evacuating um or binding energies, right? It, right. That, that, yeah, that, yeah, the, yeah. that it's about mastering stimuli.
0: Um, no, and, and, it, yeah. and it seems like we're very close at all times to the body without organs, without even once daring to glance over at it or something. There's something like this studious avoidance of, of, of the very thing he's like plowing through. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's so fascinating to me, right? Um, yeah, and
1: what's, what's interesting about this drive to mastery is inherent in the definition of drive, right? Because as we know, drive is not like external stimuli. Drive is is the psychical representative of internal stimuli coming from the body. And so uh, he'll say, he'll define it very simply that unlike external stimuli, we can't use any mechanical forces. We can't flee. We, there's no line of flight away from drive so the psychical apparatus has to deal with it head on in various ways uh either expulsing the excitation or repressing it in certain instances along with the ideational associations linked to uh to the repressed drive and and I mentioned this to you. What's interesting is the the terminology in the English is a little fuzzy because he wants to say that the drive, the aim of the drive is always satisfaction. And satisfaction is elimination of tension, right? It's it's reducing it or keeping it constant. Um, and satisfaction, as I was telling you, is not necessarily a good phrasing it's because it's really more about pacification as he'll say at the end of beyond the pleasure principle or as he he makes that distinction between the free energy and the bound energy right so it's there's a there's a tension between the, the quiescent state and um the
0: tonic cathexis
1: right right so the the and precisely what's at stake is the seemingly the ego's integrity right it's about the force the violence uh the and he'll use that term the breach this is something derrida will take up in his own writing later but this notion of breaching um the 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 psycho apparatus uh breaching consciousness and the wounds that ensue psychically is very important
0: yeah no, no no and I, I mean i think it's precisely here where the molecular stuff returns or at least this is the that's this is what that's making me think of right because it's precisely here that freud shows okay well where does the first inside outside distinction that mm-hmm. primary consciousness would latch onto come from it's the skin the skin that was like and freud emphasizes that there's almost a death drive here that the outermost layer of skin has to like sacrifice itself and become dead in order to dull the impulses from the outside world and but that precisely this death life membrane living function right like is going to is going to become the brain the epidermis apparently is part of the cell body that will begin to become internalized in advanced organisms and be and become the the gray matter of the cortex right um where at least Freud recognizes he's a neurologist, right? Like, I guess that's one of the yes. things to think about, is right. like, Freud's coming from like a material neurology kind of perspective. He's really he's really trying to articulate scientific hypotheses as speculative and kind of incredible as they may seem, right? Um, and I I mean, I, I think it's this like, again, like when the skin is cut, right? Like there's this, overflowing excitation, right? This, that you can't bind all the energy from the pain receptors, right? Um, it's like this over, and, and, and so something has to, I mean, something has to happen, right? Like in order to, to bind that energy back, or it can become overwhelming, right? Induce trauma and shock and so on. Um, I mean, I, I guess that, that leads me on to another thought, just in, in, unless you want to pick up. But I, it, so much of this book is about not just the neuroses, right, but war neuroses, yes. right? Like the, the, the neurotic impact of the sadistic destruction of human beings by one another in a massive conflict right. that, that, that involved basically the breakdown of the world and, right. and of the liberal order. And, you know, I, I, I I don't know, like trying to package all that stuff up and bring it home. And what do you do? Of course, you're going to have dreams about it. Right. And, and then, but it causes Freud to like, I mean, it's almost like this is the motor of everything. Like, well, look, if this, this can't be interpreted anymore, the, the war, the flashback dreams of war neuroses, right? They can't be interpreted by the pleasure principle anymore. We need something that's beyond the pleasure principle and it's going to be the death drive. The death drive is going to explain what gets satisfied by the nightmares of the the war neuroses. Um, right. I'm not sure he lays it out quite this clearly. If that makes sense, he I mean, he almost avoids thinking this clearly. If that if that I don't know. That's my tiny thought. But
1: well, and it also makes him uh, provide a corollary to the postulate that all dreams are wish fulfillments. Right. That this, exactly.
0: No, that's exactly what I'm saying, right? Yes. That's a, that's what causes him to seek a principle beyond the pleasure principle. That's right. Because exactly. now we can have dreams that aren't just about satisfaction, wish fulfillment, reducing unbound whatever. Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And in and, and in describing the traumatic neuroses, the war neuroses, I, I I think that it's it's really interesting. I wish he would have spent more time on it um, when he distinguishes fright, fear, and anxiety. Right. Yeah. 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 So um, you know, it's 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 fear is something whose object is definite um anxiety is a kind of expectation preparing and anticipation of uh of a particular encounter or not a particular but a you know it's an unknown encounter and then fright is sort of he almost defines it as it's It's the lack of preparation. It's the lack of anxiety in which fright results, right? It's, it's, we're not prepared for the surprise that overtakes us. And, um, I find the distinguishing between those three is, it's really interesting to, um, then be able to discuss that it's, as you said, the, the, the world this i mean the first world war is also the the time or uh, right after which this text is you know prepared and written on so it's very fresh in his mind and um you know he's the and also the as we know this uh this war is one of the first where destruction reaches a kind of degree that almost changes it in kind from other wars the, the type of destruction that's made possible, and it's as though not just individual men, but we as a species were not prepared enough for this type of scale of warfare, and so it's as though um, on a species level, we we uh, more more properly speaking, the war is a is a fright, right? We it takes us by surprise, and just how devastating the uh, the effects could be.
0: Yeah, you're making me think it's even an analytic circuit that triggered a psychotic, collective psychotic response. Mm-hmm. Um, that. I don't know, I'm thinking of what Nietzsche said about that so many wars are started by the study of history and modernity. That's interesting. That it's like we we wouldn't have grounds for fighting each other if it weren't for these historical overarching narratives of persecution. Right. That are better than these mythologies where we just valorize our own destruction. It's not, you know, our destruction of others and slow destruction or whatever. Yeah. But like... You know, it's, 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 we don't need to be. We don't need to return to the old violent mythologies. We do need to like move forward, you know, through demystification, through the text of persecution, and understand the world. But like, we can't let that in turn. I don't know. There's like there's they there's interesting dynamic here. I, I I guess one like I, I would want to try to bridge in some stuff on Plato here a little bit, but like I don't want to. I don't want to overcode that. I know, know, but
1: we'll follow through the thought. Okay. Even if you don't fully flesh it out, you know, just, uh,
0: I mean, yeah, the the quick thought would be about the, the demons, right. Mm -hmm. That like are fluttering at the edges of, of the, of the pleasure principle. Right. And they're, they're like waiting to, to, to pull us into something beyond and into a death driven, self destructive to give or put to death something and I, I mean, in I mean, Girard's reading is that, that 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 this you know like will will towards destruction of a victim, and this like kind of sacrificial like logic. It it grounds these mythologies, but we can like deconstruct them. We can demythologize them today, at least a little bit. We can understand that they're they're like covering over something bad that happened and like, you know, that they're written from the perspective of, you know, the victorious or something. Um, but but anyway, yeah, I, I I don't exactly know, but like, and, and and look, I mean, maybe it's not to like civilization is discontents that Freud will really kind of come full circle on this question of, I would say, so it would say it's something between a collective neurosis and a collective psychosis, right. Um, that like, that makes us a species prone prone to violence and war and large scale conflict and I mean internecine conflict, right. like clan right. warfare that just recurs over and over again. And we've we found ways to, to like channel these desires and these structures into other other forms, but like there's a huge amount of unbound energy today. I think, I don't know, maybe that's one way to talk about it. Maybe just in modernity that like it used to be that rituals had this function. Right. And so it's like, I mean, you know, this is, this is one awful kind of very like sad way of reading, like these sort of massacres of destructions that sort of occur is that like, that they're, that we're, that we're trying to satisfy something that, it, but the, the means no longer works, right. The repetition of this violence I mean, at some point, you know, and, and this is why honor cultures exist in the first place, you know, the expulsion of, of the victim by violence really did reunify the community somehow. And, and, and look like, you know, maybe, you know, strong monarchs really did defend with sword and shield all, you know, against barbarians. And, you know, like we, we need some degree of minimal order in, in human culture, but at the, at the same time, it's like, there's this I don't know. There's this black river of history that we have to rise up from in some kind of responsible way into into modernity um, and out of the Neolithic and find a new way of, of getting on with each other and and, and and not getting locked into these massive struggles. Um, right. But this is obviously a, be- a beautiful soul talking about some utopia that can't exist. And maybe that would be... You know, Freud's such a pessimist, right? Like, you know, is is there a, a utopian psychoanalysis, or is it already schizoanalysis? Like, where we've, you know, actually detected the resentment behind the motor of the death drive, and you know, rewire eros and and the death drive in a new way. That's like, okay, we can dose, we can take tiny doses of the death drive, and inject it into the system, just the the least amount that's needed. I mean, this is, this would be one way to read it, that it's like, you know, yes, life encodes all these, you know, destructive measures, especially at the cellular level, right? Apoptosis, program, cell death. On the one hand, it's a good thing so that your cells don't become cancerous and just reproduce infinitely. Right. Um, yes. Cause that yes. way you couldn't maintain your organization as this higher or, you know, higher order thing. Um, and, and, but it's like, it's just, just what is needed. I guess that would be the point that it's like, I don't know. Life, life makes these energy expenditures and there is an economy of it. There's an economy of the living form and the way it's different intensities and durations and time scales and these different orders of existence, you know, work, I don't know, kind of, kind of rambling, but like the, you know, the life is already a complicated thing that it has feelings, right? Like animals, it makes me wonder if Freud writes much about animals. Um, he seems to. It, it, be they're they're, the also, they're, they're, also, but,
1: they're like a foil. Right. They're like a foil,
0: right? Right. For, for uh,
1: they're they're the foil for human subjects who, who are, you know, his his uh, the material they provide. Um, they, they, of, yeah, right. they provide the material for him, and you know what you. Um, what you said about, about life at the end is, is, is interesting that when Freud first puts forward the death instinct, he, uh, and I think he, he could have hit on this more expressively, even though it's still kind of there in the background as he works through the text, but that for him, it's, uh, it's an eminent principle, right? That the, that the organism, is programmed to die on its own terms from its own internal working, uh, rather than to uh, merely seek its destruction. You know, uh, immediately, right? That that it's and this is, I think, Simon Simondon works through this, and he describes this as uh, this process of amortization that the individual through its structurations is. Programming mm-hmm. leaving behind in itself these little uh, these little deaths that are necessary for the process of individuation and the dialectic of the individual and the and the and the colony yeah, no, to, to work. I, I love
0: that. That's great. But the death on the can't be eternal. Uh, no, no, no. It, yeah. yeah, exactly. Because then, yeah, countries have learned not to issue eternal you know notes of debt right like that you could that you could keep paying on yeah, yeah yeah no like i i love i love this point about like there's a yeah anyway the 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 economy of life that was really the thing yes, i was trying to get right. at is that like that the living form like has to has to subtend at least this minimal negative determination of entropy right it has to pay it back right like what it what it managed to expropriate from nothingness right, right? Um, and you know, but there's, I guess, lots of ways that can go. I guess is the point. Well, right? that's the Anaximander
1: uh, stuff, right? The, the pay, the justice according to time. Yeah. And
0: no, 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 that's yeah. that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. And
1: Freud is very much. I, I appreciate Freud's even with Eros and Thanatos, the death drive, and even if there is at certain points to the speculation, a transcendent feeling. On the whole, Freud is mercilessly uh materialist uh, as he can be at least in his assumptions s- that his speculations are based
0: um, i mean i guess he's like erecting a transcendent figure of death here which like you true, know yes. like an like an superior individual of time you know calls us calls us to heal each in order um and he uses it to explain the the fact that people are like hounded by demons you know yeah. what i mean and, the, um, the, and he says they might have a, a death drive i don't know demon, there is
1: something like the demon diamond thing is really interesting to me right because in our in a, in, a, in a christian monotheistic point of view we're so apt to think of demons as merely evil and manipulative and possessive in a certain in a sense in which it's uh superbly transcendent and binary But – which would make a demon merely the id. But in the – you brought up Plato earlier and I was thinking Socrates and the daimon, which is really more like the guiding genius, right? It's the guiding spirit. And that makes the daimon much more like the superego to a certain extent. So there's a tension I think between the demonic and the daimonic that isn't – that I think Freud wants to straddle insofar as the ego is at once um, beyond its control subjected to these forces that topographically will be from the superego and also obviously from the id. Um.
0: But is this really how the subject experiences it? It's like something from beyond the universe is messing with you. That's that's the sense of being possessed. And, and Freud really is like, I don't know. I I, th- I think you're right. The both senses are in superposition, yeah. and that this is this is one of the key vectors that we could start unpacking between between the Beyond and the Phaedrus. But again, we don't necessarily have to go go elaborate that that entire nexus. But like, I, I guess the the point would be that that, or at least my thought right now is that like Eros is always circling a Death Drive, right? It's always like locked around a black hole that it thinks it can only do through that thing right? Like, yes, I I, I mean, in yes. other words, under industrial civilization, every pleasure has to be indirected, right? It has to go through a whole system of censorships and translations. And, and this is in some, in some in total, the, the face of alienation, the face we have to present to the world. I would connect this to facialities that like have to conform with like these hyper designed environments increasingly. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. There's a, there's a there's a a question about the Oedipal triangle and the regularization of behavior, and the and the establishment of like a uniform communicative plane in which all human beings are connected. And I don't know. I feel like we're ignoring the voices of of the real patients. And I want, I wonder like this is the this is the thing Freud claims at the very beginning is that it's like I get all this this all comes through analysis right like he's trying to show. Like at first we thought analysis was this and now it's, you know, now it's not enough just to, just to talk, you know, just to tell the patient we have to, to get them to, to work through it themselves. Right. Yes. Um, and we have to, they have to from their own point of view, see that, Oh, it was, you know, in fact it was me. So it was me, uh, doing all this to myself, right. Because of my death drive or whatever. And it, it just, it, it feels so unfair. It feels like we're assigning to individuals, this transcendent urge to go mad. And, and I, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like, I, I mean, this is something Lacan Le- says in the psychoses that he had this, um, like a slogan on his wall, like as a, as a student, and it was, it was saying that no one goes mad through wanting to. Um, and I think this is, a, and, and I, I showed that to Mal and she said it was sweet. And so she got it. She got like the, the sense of it here that it's like, it is, there's a, there's an important therapeutic principle in, in assuming good, I mean, good faith is the wrong thing. Cause obviously every analysand has modes of bad faith and so right. on. Right. Like, but, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what I mean. I don't know exactly what I'm really trying to say, but it's like, no one wants the death drive. Yes, that's it, it feels yes. unsatisfying to me. And I think he knows how unpleasing it is. And that's why it comes with Parentheses and speculative quotation marks.
1: Right. I think I think it might do a disservice to the analysis and Ann, to merely focus on one polarity in the mental apparatus, which would be activity passivity. And when we focus only on that and and the well, it was me all along. You know, Freud wants to say that's only one polarity. That's the biological polarity. There's also the the ego external world polarity which is which is what he'll call the real polarity and then there is the Uh, the pleasure unpleasure which is obviously the economic polarity and here i think he's trying to in the beyond the pleasure principle um he's i think setting up the traumatic neuroses to stand in for the ego external world polarity but really what's engaged throughout uh especially in the biological speculations is the tension between the active passive polarity and the uh, the economic polarity of pleasure and unpleasure, right? Like how could it be that a, the satisfaction of a drive could be unpleasurable in itself? Mm-hmm. Like for him, that's the problem yes. because that violates the very definition of what drives are seeking, which is satisfaction, which is always pleasurable in in and of itself. And so it's, it's that how can it, how can, and I think that, uh, you know, here one could turn to someone like Spinoza in the Ethics and show, I mean, Spinoza has a very rigorous definition of how associations are linked and how uh, pleasurable things can be associatively linked to unpleasurable things and therefore have this vacillation, this violent vacillation between the two. To an extent to which the negative, the unpleasurable overrides the pleasurable. And um, and I think that Freud in a similar way is trying to think this through the, you know, through this pioneering activity that psychoanalysis is meant to be. Um, and so I, I see, you know, elements, at least in that aspect of the ethics shared with with Freud, obviously they're dealing with totally different things, but there is a there is a, a sense in which Freud understands ethics in a in a way that Simon, uh that Spinoza does, which is about the marshaling of forces of what bodies can do, what they are programmed to do, how they function, um, in their linking. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I mean, there is definitely okay. No, no, no. I li- I like it. Like the associationism, the the problem, the ethical problem of feelings. Um, that's yeah, that is an interesting, interesting link here. I mean, the I, I guess the thing I'm thinking of is like l- look the the death drive is not in itself sufficient, right, I think, to explain you know like i mean I, m- maybe it goes some way towards explaining things like masochism um and and maybe it does show something about the generalized sadism of war and and explain something about war trauma and neuroses, right? So look, maybe it does answer to some of these analytic concerns. Uh, I, I mean, I guess I'm just, I mean, I'm wondering about the therapeutic value of telling someone that they, that it's their death drive. And I mean, uh, and that, that this isn't anything, you know, but a, a, a collective negation, right? That it's, that it's, that it's always some transcendental signifier. It's a, it's a, I mean, there, there is a structure here that, that is like you're saying, it's a, it's, it's where it like the Fort Daw game, right? Like we're attempting to master something that was difficult, right? Difficult for us to bear, right? That was traumatic. Um, and so we, we repeat and I look, I, I, I appreciate some of what you're saying about like, like we, we, that maybe I'm not being, maybe sufficiently generous to the compulsion to repeat in some ways that we need to be we need to have more charity around around compulsions and understand that we understand very little about them. I guess, um, and maybe this is this links back to an the the thing I was really trying to say is is just that Freud is fairly humble and he's like he's saying like look the death drive is a speculation here um, and he's you know and I'm not sure he's necessarily saying like go out and tell all your patients they have a death drive or something right. I, I, I don't know right but just that that you know in order to understand like you know, certain radical traumas, like war traumas, that we need to, we need to understand that, yeah, that sometimes the, the, the drives can get mixed up, right? And, but I, I don't think it's sufficient to say that, you know, oh, this, this person is mixed up. They just, they want to do stupid, evil, destructive things. I I feel like this is just too, it is blaming at some point, right? Um, But, but look, maybe this is, this is a different kind of reading of the, of the work or something. Um, but I, I, I guess, I guess the hypothesis would be that even Freud understands that there's something at least that, that we will resist about this hypothesis. Right. And this is why he parenthesizes, puts it in, says it's a speculation and so on. right?
1: Right. Um, and, you know, I, the death drive, it's, it's, I think also, uh, you know, even if Freud might use it loosely at times in the essay, I think he primarily wants it to mainly be a a hypothesis about, as you said at the beginning, a a molecular hypothesis and not necessarily a hypothesis about uh, the ego on a macro scale. Uh, I think that is where that slippage sometimes i feel is where transcendence gets brought in and deleuze has said already so much about this in terms of um the kind of false image that negation when it takes precedence gives in understanding difference of repetition uh so i think that would be my one uh, i think that on, on no, the no, one that, hand it's, it.
0: you said it so well there that yeah, it's kind of great.
1: the and i and on the other hand, you know, I think um, Freud is – you know, he's trying to find the proper – he's always trying to find the proper dualism, the proper uh, – functionaries to stand in for the dualisms you know earlier on in the topographical, it's really the conscious pre-conscious versus the unconscious and as he even says in beyond the pleasure principle you know we have to move from a simple opposition between the conscious and the pre and the unconscious to the uh the ego and the repressed right and i think here with the life and death why it's so speculative is he's trying again to rework these uh, th- these dualisms that in the past he's relied on and then they contradict each other, right? Like, for example, the he, he previously was focusing the dualism on ego instincts and the sexual instincts, but in Beyond the Pleasure Principle, he actually has to revise that uh, opposition because – of narcissism, masochism, as you pointed out. So I think here, life and death, it's, um, again, the reason why it's so speculative is because he's trying to find the the finest ways of, of, of separating the dualism without a kind of contamination. And I think that the problem is in, in the end, um, he'll want to say that You know, they, even though they've been in conflict primordially, it's as though, uh, and he doesn't say this, but this is my reading of his hesitation. It's as though they come from a common source. And what he doesn't want to do is to acknowledge this plainly, because this would fall into what he critiques in Jung, which is the monistic understanding of the libido. And um, he wants to preserve dualism at all costs even if it causes us to swap around different binary oppositions. Now we know what Derrida will go and and do with this and and show through this notion of a hinging deconstructive movement that will cause all these dualisms to collapse given enough pressure. Um, So in that sense... They are
0: kind of insupportable in the last instance. I guess that's really what I'm trying to get at here. and I'm not trying to do a full whatever, deconstruction of of analysis. But like...
1: But deconstructing the dualism doesn't necessarily mean it's just a monism. I think Derrida would caveat that.
0: Sure, sure, sure. I I was just going to mention, in in the psychoses, Lacan says that it's well-known, apparently, that psychoanalysis from its very first stages can sometimes trigger psychosis, right? Um, This is like in the same breath that he says the thing about, you know, no one goes no one goes crazy through wanting to and no one goes mad. Right. And I don't know. I mean, I I feel like this is one of the, like the sources of schizoanalysis is like a, you know, a genuine appreciation for, for the difficulty of separating the analytical and the patient position and the way we're, we're all to some degree, like at the risk of being permuted into, into repetitions. Um, and I, I, to blame it feels like we're blaming repetition on the individual and saying it's because they have a death drive this is why you're doomed to repeat because life wants to return to the inanimate to the because you have a you have a will to inertia is maybe another way to read the molecular frame of this um which like you're saying is 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 another way to state the pleasure principle which is the will to like zero neutrality you know what you're i right. mean once you actually Take away the labels; they don't seem very different. I I, de- I appreciate that that analysis. That reading. yeah,
1: and you know, and it, it, it's it is difficult because the compulsion to repeat isn't just death drive, right? It's also the drive to master, which to a certain extent is self-preservative and thereby, you know, uh, on the side of life. So I, you know, I, I this is why I try to. Um, Forgo giving too much credence to the stark opposition. You know, I, I, for example, Larwell might say that, that there is no duality between life and death in this framework that the life and death drives are actually uh, in a relation of duplicity rather than duality such that, um, you know, they, they aren't in contradiction to one another. And I think I think Freud is trying to say that it's just that the path of the detour, one could say, of this essay, is such that he I think presumes a a conflict uh, that's contradictory when they are actually obviously working together. I mean, this gets yeah,
0: no, I, yeah. I, I like I like that a lot. That reminds me, like Nietzsche says the thing about like. Life is a very rare species yes, of death, right? right? That the yes, that, that right. the animate is a is a mode of the inanimate, a rare one, um, yeah, r- a very rare yes. one. Yes, a very sing- singular mm-hmm. kind of uh, of matter. Um, and I, I mean, it, I guess it owes that singularity to its debt to entropy, right? It's got this almost infinite debt, and so it's got to pay it down. Um, and I, I guess this is this would would be one of the thoughts about the maybe eros and maybe there's a link to propagation and like the dissemination of like learning and knowledge and information because this is one of the ways we can beat you know like we can beat up entropy right is you know you're you're sitting in a room and there's a lecture happening and while you're sitting there the heat is slowly draining out of the room you know what i mean the universe is still winding down but what you've done is you've won this victory because you've taught 50 people something, you know what I mean? And they can go and, and propagate that. It, it's a way to, I mean, memory is a way to communicate with the future. Right. Right. Um, so we, we have to repeat at least minimally in order to be able to remind ourselves to do something different. Right. Um, and it kind of makes me think of like, you know, like, the the person who's gained mastery is just someone who knows all the different kinds of mistakes you can make and doesn't make them anymore you can't you can't catch them in a slip anymore right right
1: yeah and um the the other thing too that's um just really quickly uh, it may be off topic but I, i thought it was interesting that he makes the point uh, this observation which he doesn't seem to take as a mere fact but something that he observed that seemed typical was those who had in the war sustained physical injuries were much less apt to develop neuroses right and uh, it's the cathexis of the libido onto the body itself onto the narcissistic wound as he will call it that seemed to keep it from having enough expenditure psychically to uh to breach its own uh it's it, the psychical cortical layer because the physical layer had been breached the psychical um wasn't able to uh to expend enough energy to do this and he mentions illness too and in a certain, um, that the weakening of the body and illness has a chance to um, relieve certain symptoms or repressions of yes. neuroses. I found no, this, This, is, this, this he, he doesn't, I'm sure he talks about it elsewhere yeah. more at length, but I, I found this, 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 this what I, seems to be an aside to be very, very interesting. And I would love to read more on that.
0: So the the point you made about the the victims of bodily trauma not having as much psychic trauma or like being able to have have bound it somehow better I I don't right there's there's something fascinating about that right like because it really it's not just like oh you were distracted I don't know like it, it it gets to this whole thing about the economy of of the psychic engine and the way it can only can only handle so much over i mean i guess Freud goes to some length to differentiate this the picture he's drawing that's the economical one from the earlier shock yes right right um that it's it's like you're scared and and again i think it would have connections to fright if we picked it apart Mm -hmm. but um but anyway we've been going for a while do you want to do you want to take a break for at least a yeah let's do that. that
1: sounds good okay all right
0: Psychosis the same as unanalyzable, or is that just the schizo- oh. schizophrenics? I feel like we can analyze psychotics, right? Like schizophrenics are the ones who, like, you can talk all no, night. Yeah, no, it's the ones that Freud doesn't like. I think well, because the, the, they'll just connect everything you say. You know what I mean? It's and uh, forget it immediately, right? Like it doesn't yeah. have any. <laughs> you can't make a mark on the body without organs that la- that lasts. I mean, those right, right. quadri
1: actually follow Freud very closely here when they talk about the psychosis as a as a drive function just outside the individual psyche mm-hmm. uh, as a process, we can say. It's about withdrawing libido, it's, it's about withdrawing inf- infecties and cutting off the machines, right? That's what the paranoia does. Something in psychosis that uh, cuts off signifiers and um, other other machines that are clinging to the body without organs right it's, it's about flinging them off and so disconnecting. The,
0: the paranoiac body without organs, you're saying it like it flings all the machines. it throws the toys as far away from yeah. itself as it can. but only in order to drag them back and show them how they were here all along and I knew exactly right. why they were torn from me in such a traumatic way and I'm gonna I mean this is conspiracy. you're you're recapitulating all the awful elements of the world over right. and over again in such a way that you feel like you can somehow, Somehow, but, but, somehow yeah, master it, right? I, I was like,
1: being, I was being a little quick though, and I, I may have. I think the interesting thing is to take what you said and 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 make sure,
0: as I didn't do, distinguish paranoia and psychosis. Like how no, no how yeah, they're linked. they're not the same. The, but uh-huh. it's to say the paranoia builds machines, right? Like mm-hmm. and that end right. up coming back and encircling them. The person who sees conspiracies everywhere ends up creating right. a, a conspiracy. <laughs> And he also wants to, there's a sense in which he wants
1: to um, talk about the paranoiac as one of the two functions of sovereignty, right, of the state. That's interesting. Right, there's the, one of them is paranoiac. I assume it's the, well, I think the paranoiac would be Laius, would be Zeus, Cronus, I meant, not Zeus, but the, the Sovereign, and then there's the war machine that's the... I, it might be the other way around. I've looked at that. Again, we got to read any of this. So, um, but I like your... And thank you for telling me about the Phaedrus. You, you convinced me.
0: No, it's it's definitely worth worth reading. Um, so what were the polls? Is it psychosis and schizophrenia and then right there's so where does paranoia fit in i wish you could do a topological model of the thing you've got implicitly i don't know i would just even just a very pedagogical like your take on the on the beyond i know we just went through it all but like maybe we could i don't know i'd be very curious just like if you had to tell someone what what lies beyond the what lies beyond just doing what you want want, right just doing what satisfies you right Well, paranoia is
1: interesting because it's not opposed to schizophrenia right it actually there's Conjoinings of the two. Um, there's a conjunction, or one could just say an alliance at a certain point. For example, um, the case of Schraber. Yeah. And the, they they almost start with this in Antioedipus, right? They talk about the solar anus. And so the schizophrenic is sort of miraculating the machines, right? He is the, I mean, Schraber himself imagines himself as a one could say fantasizes in the most active sense, his duty. His, he's, he's a, he is the chosen one to a certain extent, right? He is, in a certain say he is a kind of Messiah Christ figure where he has to repopulate the earth and give birth to a sort of divine creation. This is the solar creation. It's the sun rays of... Uh, it's God's sperm, right? It's God's semen. Mm-hmm. And there's a way in which light the schizophrenic uh, experiences, perceptively, I think, for Schreiber, right? Uh, The way in which sort of the... that quantic element of of light as in its particulate nature inseminating him, but also in this... uh, in its continuous waveform, sort of bearing him along his destiny and... I guess I'll leave with that. Is is you were saying something about Phedrus meaning
0: illumination, meaning bright, brightening? Yeah, like i like, And again, I'm not sure how to read it in light of this like this, this theme of buggery, except that like I, I mean, there is a there is a divine madness and a possession, right? That like it there's a lot of different things it's associated with, but one of them is love, right? Yes. And you know. In in love, I, yeah, I I don't know. There is a there is a madness. There is something that's not right. rational. And here they mean he means eros, right? That the that, well, a, I mean, erotic love,
1: or is it?
0: What, I mean, it depends on what you're asking. I mean, anyway, I guess, sorry,
1: go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just I'm curious if if there's a play or a distinction between eros and sophos, right? Um... Sorry. No, no, that no. no. and eros uh, That's what I meant.
0: Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's funny. I think the whole thing in some ways is a triangle around those terms, right? Yeah. Like, so, I mean, Sarah would say it about, you know, philosophy at first, it's love of wisdom. And we're fascinated by these, these brilliant figures of light that seem to be from a, like memories from a lifetime ago that, right. that were stolen from us. And we've, this is what this is what Laurel accuses Deleuze of of acting as though he's rediscovered these secrets at the right. at the heart of philosophy. I mean, that's the naive tag. I mean, it, and it's and it's it, it's Nietzsche's. He, I mean, he's yeah. al, It's almost naive. This is what this is what JD says. What, what Derrida says, right? Like that, that. Nietzsche's always on the verge of being naive. I mean,
1: um, is he simulating it? Is he performing it? I mean, I think Derrida performs a kind of naivety. But it's the most elaborated, right?
0: So, but real quick, so like the philosophy and safophily, right? So from love of wisdom to the wisdom of love. Yes. Right? I mean, I think it would be this circuit, Mm -hmm. right? And I mean, in other words, the way philosophy leads us along towards something that, I mean, it's all, all, almost all the words are wrong. Like all, all, almost only the word "invert" is correct to the right. point where you arrive at non-philosophy and so on. But like that, it's 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 through becoming possessed by a figure of like a, a demon from beyond the right. wor- beyond the world, that like per- permutes the universe in some way, right? Like that, like such that the beloved becomes this singularity like, yeah. that we that we. F- Follow endlessly. It would be about this, like this way that we follow, and the way in which we follow right. that, like that, everything about love has to has to do with. In other words, the way we the way we step when the beloved is near. Right. I would. I don't know. That th- these are hints. These are small hints. But well, this may seem unrelated, but I don't mean it to be. Where
1: Larwell, as you pointed out, this difference in that non philosophy could be situated in. To get back to. The question of paranoia. There's a sense in which non-philosophy exhibits, at least in in its objective appearance, sort of paranoia towards philosophy. Um, that all philosophical, that all discourse, in, you know, because philosophy is in its sufficient principle is actually endemic to language, to this will to represent the real without foreclosure. Is what philosophy exhibits in its and in, in all of its different forms. There's a paranoia about philosophy in saying the eminence of man is under a bewitchment and ensorcellment of philosophy, thereby insofar as we identify automatically, we hail as philosophical subjects. We are exploited. We are under an exploitation of the force of thought, which he means it. And force of thought here is, um, he is playing off of Marx, right, of Arbeitskraft, right? It's, he's playing off of labor power. There's a, there's a thought power, there's a thought capacity that philosophy, um, insofar as it is not brought to the end of its presuppositions, which is a certain uses of language that's transcendent and unref- and that, well, it's not aware of itself as... So there's a paranoia, but that's from philosophy's side. Um, that's where philosophy's resistance to the name of the real, insofar as it is foreclosed. It, repressing that foreclosure in its resistance
0: So if Larwell sees paranoia, yeah. this is the terrorism mark. So if Laurel sounds like a crank, that's on us. That's all philosophical <laughs> resistance, you know, even if he seems to be saying all of I mean here's the thing. It's yes. like it's differentiating it from the simple crank crankery of like all metaphysics is whatever you know so much a yes hallucination right like and which is not even close really to what larwell's saying he's saying like we need a much more rigorous and thorough and to the conclusions kind of approach uh-huh. to the capabilities of theorization right. and i mean it's almost like a radicalization of the thetic or yes. something like this the like, non-thetic as he the, calls the it the non-thetic yes. right yes, like yeah. so it's like of the from hypothesis to non-thesis or something, uh-huh. right? Or a- 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 hypothesis would be like a Gosh. way I would I would maybe, but like, but look. He plays off the thesis, but go ahead. No, no, no. I, I think that would be the whole thing. And it's like, I would want to link this back to Fort Da, right? Because mm. the, the whole game of philosophy is, is this displacement? Is this, no, it, it happens in a different world, mm. right? In a, in a different one than this one, in a future one where we can right. read all these things right. differently it it will it will have been different like from a different perspective right and this is the way philosophy creeps like an infinite judgment into oh, into man. everything mm-hmm. right and like it's the way it assures its dominance even at the even at the distance of centuries and millennia right. even at the, even at the cost of millennia this right. is the thing nietzsche wants to ask us right are we willing the expenditures the expenditure of of deep time Right, and this is what I think Nietzsche is asking us to contemplate in some ways is like how much we we are in need of debt forgiveness to to entropy to nature, you know, and like again, are we capable of making and what would it take to make our species capable of making a promise on the order of a thousand years right like if if an Ooh, alien man. if an alien species just to give us a concrete idea of a demon, right, if an alien species came to us tomorrow mm-hmm. and said. You know, look. You guys have to keep an agreement with us for a thousand years, and we're going to come back, and you, we need you to honor this agreement, and we'll shower you with treasure and wealth. But if you haven't kept the agreement, we'll destroy your planet or something, right? Like so, this would this would be the test, like to whether we can make individually and collectively a decision to renounce to to renounce violence perpetration, to renounce right. even resistance against those who would perpetrate or something like a different a different kind of social order that would be necessary a different permutation of all the relations and a honestly a breaking of some of the triangles and hierarchies we would have to mm. you know I, I don't know that would be the the thing like well like a like, thousand well, e- yeah how how could you make a society stable for that long it seems like this is where the two readings of nietzsche i think collide because it seems like you would need at once the most intensive order but at the same time like absolute liberation and freedom and a kind of mm crowned... I mean, Deleuze has crowned anarchy. Yeah. And what does that mean? Is this like a sacred... a sacred anarchy, a, mo, a mono-anarchy? Well, or you said so, the thing about
1: stability and, and, and...
0: It's like both at once. And maybe in
1: right. terms of Nietzsche and biopower, I mean, the you know, brave new worlds and why I'm very um, engrossed in that. Right. They could,
0: they could make a promise, but they wouldn't right. need to. They've already solved the problem of desire, right? <laughs> right? Yeah.
1: And so I think that... Uh, you know what's interesting about Laruelle, and what we have to see, and what we might imagine as a paranoia from philosophy's from from philosophy side, right? Which Laruelle puts in Derrida's mouth that that he's a terrorist of philosophy or philosophers. One could say both. You know, um, but that's not. I think I think Laruelle invites that misunderstanding. I think he treads that. That line that Nietzsche does where where he talks about Nietzsche and he says that Nietzsche welcomes, embraces the misunderstandings from the start in order to lure the the enemy, one could say closer in, the better to smother him. This is why he talks about, he takes on a performativity of fascism that in the last instance is not merely fascistic but also not merely revolutionary the one has to think both of those together without contradiction
0: because without without synthesis I think is the right is That's is, right. is a schizoanalytic point here and mm-hmm. that like this is this is why bipolarity at the social level exists in the first place it's 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 like it's not simply that everything is said twice right right even though it is but like the the, the world is split in half right like there's a different cognitive structure to languages on the other side of the world they yeah. they're like they have a different relation to to the grapheme and, and the morpheme and right the, you know what i mean like, and he just talks a, about splitting history in two well that's that's right yeah. like i don't know i, I and look i mean s- suffice to say i think this like this problem of like how do we inspire a new social order right. and like I, I mean, look. In the last instance, like the 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 planetary is also the imperial. It's the domain of like yeah. of, of a of a world spanning new people, right? And like this is this is precisely the language D and G bring up, and it's yes. where they're closest to Nietzsche, right? Well, and and a new Earth, a new a new people, right? And and the the novation, right? These this. And it, and it is again about like an, an elevation of culture in certain directions, even if culture is at the limit of violent extension in in into into nothing or something, right? And like, well, it's Cain uh, and, the, and the burden of founding the new city that that's he's burden with the new people, which founded on a violence, um, and then. Uh, but I mean, new people, new earth. The idea is that hopefully, can come about without. Bloodshed. Well, like again, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the the, the idea would be maybe the new people are the ones who could who could make the promise, Mm -hmm. and the worry is that maybe they're like the Brave New World, right, and not and not like something else. I was also
1: thinking of it's the history of the of the Hebrews, right. I mean, I'm thinking of Moses, right, and the Promised Land. No, it's totally yeah, yeah. And the fact that Moses through a minimal climenent of violence, striking the rock, having one could say having wrath in his heart um, is denied entry, even though he's been he's with the shepherd. Uh, much more than that, I mean, you think about, I mean, the encounter, the the story of the encounter with the Pharaoh uh, is just immense. Amin- it's just it's just amazing.
0: Where he puts his magic up against theirs. It's the battle of the mancies, <laughs> right? And in correlation with his brother, I think Aaron gets overlooked. Okay, no, yeah, right, right. Um, Aaron is Moses' mouthpiece. Yeah.
1: I think this gets overlooked, and this goes back to your, it has to happen twice. This is Socrates and Plato. There's a sense in which the Judaic aspect of Derrida could easily write about Moses and Aaron. Um, And you could extend that back to, as we've done, you've so brilliantly done with um, uh, Gerard. And I brought up, um, we talked a little bit about Jacob and Esau. Right, those Man. two are really interesting because there's a way in which Jacob performs an act kind of like Cain. There's a type of murder going on that is not simply financial, not simply
0: legal, not not simply he's, ethical. He's a, he's he steals a, a, he the birthright, or he he's, he's a trick. Tw- he's a twin. He's playing doubling games. Yeah. I feel like it all refers back to twinning and doubling and simulation and mimesis. I mean, Jacob but- comes out. Second, holding on to Esau's ankle, is that right? Something. So, I mean, again, like I think all these. This is at least Girard's hypothesis. All these yeah. cases where the the twins are in conflict. It codes for a more general right. conflict of, of doubles. Well, what, in a in a, 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 a mimetic yeah. crisis where society's like descending into madness and murder. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is kind of our birthright from Girard's perspective. It's just that with our big plastic brains were able to simulate things. And so that, hmm. that means it's easy for people to get locked into mimetic yeah, spir- right. spirals that escalate. Well, I said earlier the narcissism of petty differences are totally. not in the phrase right. No, right. that's it. We, it starts from almost nothing and it explodes into everything, right? grade. I mean, yeah. this is why I've been repressing Derrida to a certain extent. And I think that repression goes
1: to a point where it's also about Derrida's alliances, There's the way in which Derrida wants to read Nietzsche with conjunction of with with Hegel, with Heidegger. He's so
0: close to Hegel and Heidegger. With yeah. Levinas. Anyway, to get back to Laruel and the paranoia, he
1: turns paranoia, it takes it to the, the limit of what can do. And therefore kind of like nihilism facing itself. There's a paranoia that faces itself in and on philosophy. There's the paranoia. I want to say of what happens when we suspend the parallel lines postulate.
0: Sort of, you know, um... No, no. I, I mean, the way you're making me think of it now is it's. I, I, I've been thinking paranoia in terms of Ulysses or Odysseus. So in this case, oh, go, go on. The, Please elaborate. In in this case, the Odyssey would be philosophy, and it's not till the end of the Odyssey that. Odysseus's plans and strategies become the paranoia that consumes his house and brings on the true cataclysm. Oh yeah.
1: expiate is sin exactly yeah yeah is to spread culture to spread the well it's the maritime to spread the maritime war machine to a certain extent even though it's not done in a gesture of war it's actually the uh, the opposite where it's actually saying here's how this war machine works go go populate the seas go you know travel through and it's not just about there's a way in which what's sublimated from the Iliad is the sea for the Odysseus going back. Right when they when they all when all the Greeks go to Troy, they don't run into Scylla and Charybdis and and all of these mythical encounters. It's the voyage back. That's he's already expiating for the sin of imperial conquest. But what Odysseus' trip back represents is the spread of knowledge. So the spread of the maritime or the war machine, the, the mode of discovery, the mode of traveling, uh, smooth spaces, as Deleuze and Guattari yeah, say,
0: yeah, cutting diagonally across the sea. No, oh, I love that. This is part of his expiation, and it's, it's about but, knowledge. But it's his expedition too. Like that's that's yes. that's the shape of his circular voyage, right? That's also a voyage in place. It's the voyage of thinking, right? And this is yes. why I'm connecting it with philosophy. But the but the point being, like all the stratagems, the way he. Goes there, breaks into the fortress, yes. and then comes back here, back home, yes. right? All the strategies encircle him, right? Like all, And this is where the paranoia seeps in, is all the, the doubles, the suitors who have tried to take his place. There's a crisis of the doubles of, right. of Odysseus, and right. he, wants, he wants to wrathfully destroy them. It takes a god to interrupt him. It's really like the crisis in his house, the cataclysm that he brings on through his paranoia, rather than a word of peace... You know, he could have extended the oar in friendship, yes. but he, he chooses to attack them right. and try to slay them down. Right. You, you get the sense he's enraged enough to kill them with a single blow. Right. And it's the wrath of his sorrow, like of the journey itself that took so much out of him. That The expenditure, not just the 10 years there, but the 10 years coming back. All, and seven years in a goddamn cave. But like, but so, but anyway. No, no, no.
1: Uh, No, you're you're right on this. I was talking about Odysseus' – he goes through these extremes of torment, of sorrow, because I think the Greeks saw, as Nietzsche says, that that ability – not just ability, but the fact of having done – of having undergone sorrow allows for a certain capacity, not just of joy – but as Nietzsche might say, the joy too is the forces that he o- overcomes when he comes back. Well, it's not just the suitors. That's not the only puzzle he solves. One could say there's a there is a sense in which Odysseus is a is a logician, right? He is the as you said, the master of stratagems. He's the master of the lines I remember is "Master of landways and seaways," something like that. That's one no, of that's that's beautiful epithets. Yeah, yeah, master, all, yeah,
0: master of all the ways. He's right. never. Yes. There's no way you can approach him where you can surprise him or catch him in a slip. This is the whole sense of 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 the Odyssey is that he's always got an answer to the situation. He's always got the upper hand, even when he seems at a loss. You said earlier something like he's the one that gets himself into trouble, right? It's every time. It's, it's, it's always. Yeah, 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 yeah. but. The thing I was the tiny thing I was gonna say, and it's just like it's this tiny detail, but it's like it just says something about Greek culture, about and about the way they experience sorrow and, and expressed it to others. And it's in the Phaedrus too, mm-hmm. at least a little bit. Socrates is like Let me cover my face while I tell you my version of the speech that's better than the one you gave, Phaedrus, from Lysias or whoever. And he's performing in front of a crowd. No, no, no. They're they're alone. It's just him and Phaedrus. They're in like an enchanted grove. It's a very unusual setting for a platonic dialogue, which are all in the city, basically, except... For the so, thing, so were you like, saying Phaedrus was reciting a speech he was going from? In? I think it's from Lysias is the name, but I could be wrong. But like, I but see, yes, it, yeah, yeah the, the speech about how you should favor the non-lover instead of the lover, and then is so like, let me show you how this is done. Right, I've got a better speech, and I'll show it using proper definitions. And he covers his eyes. And yeah, before he gives it, you know, he's like, "Look, I'm going to cover my face with the with the cloth that he's got in front of him." It's the same thing Telemachus and Odysseus do, right? Like, don't they both have the and, and I'm not sure if it's purple cloth in one case or both. Gosh, but I don't like, remember this, but this the, is great. The purple comes from the sea. It's the murex. Yes. It's the dye. You have to right. send a diver into the goddamn sea and pull out the freaking... It's the rarest natural color. It's a pain to get. Right, yeah. And so they both have the rare, beautiful, and they cover their face to hide their emotions. Mm. Like, oh, I, th- I think in this is right. Telemachus's case, it's like when someone tells of... Odysseus' struggles and he's like oh it's so sad I can't bear to see but Odysseus covers his weeping when he is
1: rescued and and Nausicaa welcomes him into the you know um, she saves him yeah and he tells us this is where Odysseus gets to be take the place of the bard right I mean this is why Ruyet wants to say this is a written work and not a spoken elaborated a merely oral work that there is some sort of And I don't think Ruyé has... I think if Ruyé needs a little bit of Derrida, I think, to really make that Homer book work, but to argue that it's Nausicaa, this princess, imagining herself hearing about the struggles and uh, wanting to tell the story of Odysseus coming home because she lives on an island like Ithaca, and um, she's able to imagine herself as the one who saves him, as the first... I mean, it's a... The one of the things that he puts in his favor is all the different females throughout Odysseus that he has truck with. We could say Athena is definitely the the daimon. Would you say
0: is is Athena Odysseus's daimon, or is it, it in like in the sense that I don't know? Like all she's his just
1: guiding force. Yes, yeah, she yeah. is a
0: god, but there's a sense in which no, no, no. She she comes in the guise of of mentor right? Like, and but that's to Telemachus. Doesn't Odysseus know it's Athena?
1: Oh, Odys- I guess. See, t- t- I guess mentor
0: does come to Telemachus. Mentor yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. is identified with Athena
0: to talk to Telemachus. But, but it's often in the guise of another person who's giving them guidance. Isn't that right? Or is it? Does, no, no, no. She, does Athena often talk she directly she is, to Odysseus? No, she is. Yeah, okay.
1: she, she is mentor. She is the, uh, and of course one could read that name, which is so, he, she's, She's the instructor. She's the guider. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, 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 And she's totally, like, helping them understand how they can take the perspective of right. someone that's outside of the situation yep. and learn how to permute it in such a way that they take an it advantage. It's, I mean, it goes back to cunning. Yeah. That would be maybe a way to link this back to, to Nietzsche and, and styles of reading, re- right?
1: There's right. an interesting question of mastery, too, because Telemachus is the young Odysseus. Um, in a certain sense. He is the next in line. Right. And as we know from the... Woven into the tale, because Homer makes everything explicit, which could be... A, if you see that unity in the Iliad and the odyssey, then one could argue the oral origin. But it's... We're told about how, because of something his grandfather did, I'm trying to remember, but this is where we would need to look it up. He, This is where Odysseus gets his name... But this is also why there's only one son, there's only one child in the line in Odysseus' house. So this is the dramatic tension on Telemachus. But um, Mentor is a male, and old and he's a teacher. He's an older male, very much in the Platonic vein, right? He would also be, I think representing the male sexually one could say the who would
0: no no especially who would he's, educate he's, he's being possessed by athena right. so he's actually a female right he's, yes so but so he, would, he, can, be, can he I, would be fucking athena exactly so but like she'd be fucking him. well sorry but, no 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 go ahead I'm, I'm, I apologize <laughs> I was I was gonna try to circle back briefly just to the again the problem of like narcissism and enjoyment uh-huh. and the covering of the face I love this um if that makes sense like you're covering like that's that's capitalism and faciality like don't give me stone face poker face when you're dealing with with trauma right like let's work through it like grown-ups and the, it's, it's masculinity it's, too, Odysseus at least. I, I'm trying to talk about yeah. something else, okay. just quickly, right? Like I'm talking about the quote-unquote maturity that comes at such a cost in yeah. for American psychoanalysis, okay. at least, right? Like, but no, Odysseus and masculinity, I think, is the other half of it. I don't know. Sorry, I wasn't. No, no, at, no, no it's it, not. It, at all. I just wanted to get that out quick. But you're you're like,
1: right about faciality and Guattari. will say, and you since you're talking about, I mean, currently, yeah, there's a sense in which. Even with Odysseus, because he's in polite company, yes, (laughs)
0: um,
1: he is meant to perform a certain social aspect. Right. But so much of Odysseus is about aspects, because Athena. What does Athena do? Indirectly helps him perform, like the beggar character that he will elaborate, and he's disguised. Yes, in in various dimensions and aspects. But that's Athena's. Power. That's his. That's his diamond. One could say of, it's his own guile. I mean, this is what's his name? Um, Cameron. He wrote the sort of the about the bicameral mind, right? And he he looks at Odysseus and sees Athena as kind of the best example. I think he he mobilizes to say, well, in the in this sort of ancient past, in the development of self consciousness, it was. There is a split. There is an exteriorization. So Athena is, Odysseus is, this is what the daimon is. No, no, be, no, right? no, that's that it's, that, that's It's imminent, not transcendent.
0: No, I, mean, I, I think there is something about the social bipolarity that's explained by the relation of human beings to gods.
1: Yes. And,
0: and this is the thing i meditate on. It's like the Odyssey is framed by these two moments, right, of Zeus saying, like, don't blame me right like please, very open. Yeah, right. Don't blame the gods for all your stupid problems right. And then the whole thing is the gods getting involved in our stupid problems and like and in fact It's been like that since right. the Iliad and so right. on right like but and then the very end of the work is the, Let the gods extend their knowledge onto mankind yes. and like I, so it's like it's It lives somehow between these two moments of like we need to demythologize we need to bring the gods down to earth Yes, we need to get them involved in our problems I mean, I think that, again, the psychoanalytic thing is that, like, the gods are aspects of ourselves, right? They're obviously, I mean, this is maybe Jungian or something, because it sounds like archetypes when you say it this way, but, like, the the, the point being that Athena is the fleet-footedness of thought, right? The infinite rapidity of the syllogism, right? Like, it is this, like... Succeeding through every element in the situation at once, taking a survey so that you can step out from beyond it. Its natural philosophy, right? Like this is the sense of Athena. She is. This is the birth of philosophy into the world. The la naissance de la philosophie, right? Like it is. It is like metaphysics incarnate. Would be one suggestion. Is that like the role Athena plays? Again, maybe more as a demon, more as a figure of light that that like. That catches Odysseus's eye and lets him, in a in a glance through the glare, right. <laughs> catch sight of the the, well, f- the thing that he can do. And right? I think, in that
1: sense, Athena as a demon, following the bicameral, the question of, I mean, Odysseus is externalizing this. One could say he's he's partitioning his mental apparatus. Uh, Athena is the psychical representative of Odysseus's while guile while as drive the stratagem right? as a, as a which is why he is the solver he's the logician as you said very beautifully and the way that what the story is telling is odysseus's punishment for seeing himself as unitary right right when odysseus shouts his name out What he is forgetting or repressing or trying to unify is denying that externalization. Denying that, for example, Athena doesn't deserve some credit here, right? That she's been watching over him. Now, And would probably tell him not to yell out. Right. (laughs) Well, she deserves credit, too. That's the thing. He's he's forgetting the fact that the daimon is actually the one that deserves credit. It reminds me of just... You know, it's, it's all things are possible through Christ, right? There's something about that. All things are possible through Athena. And he he asserts but not the singularity any, right. of himself and Athena without distinction. Right. And he's punished for that. And that's the name. That's the, it's the name that, and then he has to re-externalize. Athena really helps him because now it's that dialectic where he has to become stranger. As you said, nobody.
0: Yeah. Right? this is the dialectic,
1: he or the beggar. You're
0: making me realize now too. He's he's nobody throughout the whole thing, almost. Right. right. He yeah. has to lose his name and suffer, and this
1: is the price of knowledge, I think, um, and maturity. You said it earlier. I think that's that would be maturity. critically
0: with question marks. It's it's a lo- it's also a load, if that makes sense, right? Like, like there's you know, a it's it's a way of making people guilty right. for for their feelings and like having to always process everything constructively through a neutral and precise formulation i mean again that's like aiming at at this totally you know i don't know like detached way of dealing with other human beings that's like it's like everything becomes a discussion instead of just a a conversation where we get to know know each other that's that's what i worry is being like i don't know we are in an era of neo-orality would maybe be a way to wrap around some of this stuff in terms of like Every We could yeah. do a psychoanalysis of media, which show how it's, it's like an embryology, if that makes sense. And you're circling back
1: to faciality and, and capitalism, which you which you hinted at earlier. And yeah. I, I kind of changed the subject. And I'm just thinking of the question of value and the question of – getting back to the question of libidinal cathexis. Uh, I see an aspect of Odysseus that's completely different and not about knowledge mm-hmm. anymore, but about, let say, faith, confidence, about – Belief, and that's the figure of Job. <clears throat> There's a sense in which Odysseus, you know, under he's under certain time constraints, but he he suffers, and Job, right? But Job does so in a way that quantifies it, that that, that takes it takes that punishment to its extreme, and about this correlation of acts and one could say divine karma favor. I think that. What I love about Job is this pitiless, materialist um, wager that at a certain instant, the one suffering the most intensely. Nietzsche talks about Epicurus suffering so intensely to be able to describe things like the sunlight on the beach in such moving senses, right? He had to be suffering so much, and Job is suffering, taken to the extreme, taken to its last consequences and to try to find some sort of moral order to the universe that's where job is is finally where God answers him and says you don't know what the fuck you're talking about well right that there's not the moral order that right what you find at the end is you can't comprehend me as he
0: even kind of says did, did you did you make Leviathan and stuff like that right he... well so I think I, I would say this way can you can you judge right and so I think it's, it's really getting away from this order of judgment. And its repetition as, like, blaming the gods for everything right. that's wrong with you. Right right, 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 And, like, this, just to get us back to seek Annalise for a tiny, like, because I, I just want to, let's, let's close this, because I feel like we've, we've, been, we've been cycling around the, the beyond the beyond for too long in a certain way, right? Um, but, and, and it would be, I, I want to read Freud's papers on technique. I think that would be something to jump into and try to think about Lacan here, too, and about his way of reading, reading Freud. And because I think that's another, I don't know. I think that's a, that's another and an important layer when you're thinking about psychoanalysis, right? Is like okay, well, what has actually happened since Freud? Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's just my like. I I, I I think there's there's something about the the mathematical in Lacan that connects up with, for instance, Badu. Yes, And I think of course. I think this is an interesting continuous line that we could tread. Uh, sorry, this seems like from nowhere, but like. Just a kind of almost through geometry, right? Like as you could read the Mino, right? <laughs> um, but I, I think maybe that would be the question, like how yeah. to read the Mino and the Phaedrus together. Yeah, I like it, this is where it makes me want to read, de- like in a deconstructive fashion, the actual Greek text of the Phaedrus to see right. if, to see if there's any mathematical or logical language. Like this was a thing about Oedipus that I discovered that I'm not sure I would have recognized, like that it, that it took someone pointing it out for me to realize that like he uses and it's almost like you have to have the Greek to see it, right. That he, that in the course of Oedipus's deduction, right. That's like always halted. It's always about to complete yeah. itself. And then someone comes in and interrupts and forces him to start over. But he's like relentlessly on the, the, the track of it. It's like mathematics and logic that like propels the movement of it. The very, the key moment it's like, you know well was it one man or many men that killed Laius, right like and it's like well one can't be many and that's it it only takes like a second from him saying that from for it to like like happen right like and everything and and that's the that's the brilliance of the theban plays is that it's like it is the drama of of thinking of deduction of of recognition right. of the truth even it, right. like because there is a there is a a way in which all the misrecognitions fall away. Right. And suddenly it's, it's, Oh, it's me. Yeah, right? right. And so this is why it's like all of psychoanalysis is, is already there in a certain way. And Freud's not, is it wrong to, to to think about Oedipus, but it's like, I think, Oedip, I, I mean, maybe this is why we need to read Annie Oedipus. I guess, I guess yes, this is why I'm right. like, I'm getting a little tired of Freud's voice. Right. Like, it's like, it's so beautiful. He's such a wonderful writer, but like it, it, it always feels like we're, we're so close. We're so close to something that's like... I, I mean, this is maybe where I think Lacan's so wonderful, where he, you can actually see his love of humanity in, in a more direct way that's like more obvious. And even though he seems like so obscure and he's playing all these games with you and all these things, that there's something in it that's like really seeing that people don't go mad just, just, be, just to spite you, just because yeah. they want to, right? This is the easiest and stupidest kind of analysis but like honestly, so much of therapy, besides the the psychoanalytic modes, kind of falls into at some level. I don't know. This this is my general would be my general critique. But like, right. I, it, it's it's not to say don't get don't get therapy, don't get don't 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 talk, don't get analysis. None of this is to to suggest any of that, right? And you know, but I, I think I think yeah. it's it's worth finding people who have a genuine concern for human beings. I, mean, I don't know. That's, that, that would be the the root of it for me is it's like not to take advantage of these victims. You know, there's a, there's a hypocritical relation with money that anti-Oedipus calls out that I yes. think is maybe, right. you know, it's, it's the, the, it would, <laughs> on the one hand, there's a, there's a, a monetary and economic model in the beyond, um, that, that goes, goes to the heart of the enterprise, right? I don't, I, I there's a, there's a way in which Freud is trying to sell you something counterfeit about the human soul and telling you it's all about the death drive. This would at least be my tiny critique. And it's like, he, I mean, just to get us something we said last night, it's like he at the death drive through a meditation on the war and the neuroses that yeah, come from the war right. and the way war breaks our collective spirit and, and like breaks down individuals and collapses them into right. into this neurotic state where they're like, they can't escape. They're dreaming, they're trapped they're still trapped in the war in their dreams, yeah. right? Like and they can't and, and they're responsible for them. Their mind is generating them, but it's not to please them, right. right? It's to do something else. It's is it is it to play Fort D'A with the war? To try to master war by by simulating it? Like is is this the the thesis basically? Master the
1: the the effects, counter effects, right the after effects of war. <clears throat> because so much of before during and after a war there's a total transformation of the libido and right socially right and how it cathex and this is Nietzsche's question about That's so good yeah. about exhaustion about after many years of war there's sort of there's a positive exhaustion of a, a, a shift there's a there's a shift in values and I love that and yeah. in investment social investments unconscious investments and, and Nietzsche's always asking this question how is it that Germany can take all this warmongering and actually apply it to culture because so much of his critique of German culture and how idiotic he finds it, how it's, it's this simple-minded Christian inebriated culture that's hurdy-gurdy and doesn't really have a unity. This is always Nietzsche's question. is like how can German...
0: Man, that sounds so contemporary when you say it that yeah. way. It sounds well, yes. It sounds just like a critique of our...
1: <laughs> this is to bring back to what you were saying <laughs> right. in, in, in terms of, uh, you know of America and it's it's you know it's the fact that America is never self-identical. It is contested. That's its nature democratically. I think if the four fathers you know they could they could look back from this point of view, it's if we sort of don't look at capitalism which we would need to to complexify this but it would be how to keep parties from binarizing how to, how to I mean how to? and very quickly in American politics it's it's come down to two and not all most nations aren't necessarily like that even there's usually at least a three. Oh, no! But isn't
0: it funny how obviously edible it all is especially yes. especially today with Trump but just and mimetic in, but just as you would, yeah. but the point be in general even without these extremely obvious symptoms it would be like that uh, left and right are often mother and father it's, often, it's always feminized and masculinized this way and that there's a whole oedipal circuitry at root in our habitual right. modes of constructing the political space that ultimately blocks off any possibility of actual revolutionary transformation but that feels like a good place to divert.